Thank you for listening to the Highlander Podcast, where we have conversations about the past, present, and future of the outdoor industry. Thanks to Utah State University's Outdoor Product Design and Development Program for making it possible and for training the future product leaders of the outdoor industry. Learn more about the program at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode of The History of Gear, Catherine Acosta, product archivist and brand historian at Vans, talks about material culture, the blending of consumer products and art, and the challenges and opportunities of building a corporate archive from the ground up. Welcome back, everyone. This is Chase. And joining me today on another episode of our History of Gear series is Catherine Acosta, a product archivist and historian at Vans. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. We've talked for a while about getting you involved in this um, and excited to learn more about your story, your journey into archiving. Um, you know, we, we have an interest in this considering our archive here on campus. And so I'm always curious how other people got into this space. Um, but I guess, first of all, how did you get into, I, I won't, I usually ask the outdoor industry, but for our purposes, how did you get into the product space in general, or what's your relationship with product? My relationship to product would be that my formal background prior to being at Vans was actually in, in academic museum settings, um, studying design history and decorative art history. So very object focused and always within um, that, that space of design history. So obviously, if you're studying furniture and ceramics, despite whatever period or era that is, the same sort of principles apply to how you would approach any other type of object or material culture is probably the other good word to use, right? Which is more encompassing of anything from everyday glassware and newspapers or, you know, everyday ephemera to, you know, high-end, really well, you know, designed and crafted furniture. Did you have a, a, a certain discipline or certain era that you were specializing in or most interested in? Yeah, well, I'll give you the long, the longer story that's the background to how I started pursuing that professionally in, in an academic setting was that I, I grew up in Southern California and my parents always were basically collectors. I didn't acknowledge them as that growing up, but they were. And what they collected primarily was Native American artifacts and I would say material culture too. So baskets, um, ceramics, um, even like shields and a few spears and all sorts of stuff related to various cultures that they sort of would focus on. And so I grew up always around and surrounded by objects. And as a teenager, I just loved vintage clothing and old things. So I just had a habit of picking stuff up and, and going to thrift stores and doing that and being exposed probably by way of my parents to auctions and like antique stores. And then in my 20s, having pursued fine art as a career or a discipline in undergraduate school, um, that didn't really translate into a professional path. And so during this sort of transitionary time in my 20s, I was always collecting and hoarding things. And so that's when collecting actually came in for me. And it started with 1930s through 50s, 60s, uh, glass and ceramic American tableware. Hmm. And this interest started really just as love of these objects and being fascinated with them. And I, my first apartment in my early 20s was... Um, 
like a early, uh, the interior was all from like the thirties and forties. So I was just trying to kind of match that interior for fun. And, um, I quickly learned that not only am I attracted to these pretty old little objects, but I want to know about them. So I started getting interested in doing research about the companies who manufactured them, how they were being advertised, how they were being originally used, and noticing differences in um, broadly tableware from, you know, 50 plus years ago and how tableware looked and how we used it today. And so that planted the seeds of following a professional path into design history and decorative arts history. And when I was in school for graduate work um, for this subject really broadly, um, which was at Parsons uh, School of Design as part of the new school in New York City, um, I started to focus really on 20th century American pop culture and design. Um, but my, the, my graduate program was really well-versed in broader sort of Western decorative art background. Um, so speaking to European and lar largely European and American interior and decorative art history from the Renaissance on. <laughs> wow. That's so, a really long-winded way of getting there, but it makes no, sense. No, super helpful to understand like where you're coming from. What, what is it about? I mean, you mentioned this a little bit, but what is it about objects that are so interesting to you versus other forms of, I guess, forms or mediums of art? What is it about objects that speak to you? Probably more abstract or conceptually the, the way, and this is where the product part fits in really well to this, the, the representation and sort of symbolic, um, the symbolism and, and significance that we attach to objects and whether that's sort of personal sentimental value and that you have, um, a, you know, a, something from your grandmother and it's not necessarily intrinsically valuable, but it's valuable and it's attached to her, her, your memories of her or particular experience with her. Um, and you're honoring her from that to something like a prototype of a particular object is one of a kind. And it's first and really tells the sort of Genesis of the design history and story of a particular object and or to anything from how things are merchandised in stores. So a really great store display is showing you a tin of cookies, but it's surrounded by things that are um, suggestive of home and sort of like coziness and all these all these concepts that we start to attach to objects. That's where I get really excited. And that's why I feel like they're more than just sort of everyday things that are utilitarian in purpose. Mm. How, how did you get so you study this, you study um, objects and art history. Like how, what, what leads you to a career working for a company like Vans? Like, how do you make that ju jump from like art historian to corporate? Design historian. Yeah. Design history and decorative arts traditionally really are uh, the sort of stepchild of art history. Right. And design is such a broad term too, where you're talking about not only you you talk about, and this is where material culture is another good word too, you're talking about how things were made in a particular period, which, you know, in less than 200 years ago, everything was generally obviously handmade and those sort of concepts of industrialization and mass production that we have today just didn't exist. Um, so there's that sort of manufacturing history to it. Also the sort of um, economic history to good. So if you go back like 300, 400, I mean, not even that far back, but looking at, say, for example, the colonial period and trading and who is in sort of power in the world, objects can speak to that. So think of the history of tea and coffee, for example, right? Um, and ceramics are a really good example too, um, the rise of all of that. So I think all of, all of those, those aspects tie into decorative art history that is really exclusive to that and not art history, which is talking more about culture and these sort of cultural and social um, constructs that are defining the value of art, right? It's a little different. Mm -hmm. I feel like design history and objects can speak more to more common everyday tangible subjects. And then they obviously, the overlap between design and art is very fluid. So you can quickly start talking about a 19th century sampler in a way that is just like a piece of art or a quilt, right? But it is not on that same sort of uh, 
uh, social cultural value that we put onto like a painting by a really well-known artist. Well, I think it's interesting that you're at a company and you're in an industry where product and art, that that line is being blended more and more. I mean, there's so much footwear out there that is produced that ends up almost not acting as a product anymore. It's something that sits on a shelf, right? And and has a value, a, a, a numerical value attached to it, right? On StockX or, or something like that. So I imagine for you, it's kind of an interesting place to come into, right? With that art history background and um, now seeing uh, kind of where footwear is at, I guess, what, what thoughts do you have there? The state of footwear as art is probably interesting for you to look at. Well, um, yeah, well, obviously it's all connected. And so looking at, so what I've really focused on before I came to Vans was really 20th century American design and culture. And that interest in tableware, which seems not connected really much the same sort of methodology and approach towards studying objects like that is the same thing that I, I did with, with, um, with the work I do at Vans and also just generally in approaching sort of contemporary footwear from these different lenses. Um, and also, as you know, you know, the sort of collectible side of sneaker culture and it becoming a subculture in and of itself and having all this sort of complexity is a relatively new phenomenon that's happened in our lifetime. Obviously, the origins go back several decades, depending and go to several geographical places. You know, I'm thinking like sneaker culture and customization in like, you know, in New York in the 70s and 80s. Those are the roots of this thing. But today, how it exists as an actual commodity is really pretty new. And I say new because when I before when I just started at Vans as an intern and was in between being a contractor, Sotheby's in New York City had that first big Nike sale, um, which was huge. And I went to go see that. Um, And then two was seeing a, a big sale of Supreme Skate Decks which was comprehensive in their output. And also it was, this was so interesting to me because I was already going to Sotheby's and Christie's to study decorative art and objects. And so to see this stuff sort of be showcased in that space with high intrinsic values, and you also think these things are mass produced. They're not these (laughs) handmade one of a kind objects. Um, And they're also not made to last too. And they're meant to be used. They're utilitarian. So it, It is really interesting and fascinating to me. And I feel like I stepped into my job right at the right time when when it's this sort of fluidity between how these things are thought about um, is literally changing. Well, and it seems like more than ever, there's so much information out there and every sneakerhead out there in particular, it seems like is 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 becoming or, or is becoming more familiar with the history of the company, the history of the products, where they were made, how were they were made, what was the story behind it, who was the designer? It seems like that is something that's of value to um, sneaker collectors and and even people who aren't collecting. Just it seems like there's more of a um, an understanding of the history of some of these products more than there has been in the past. Right? There's like more of a literacy around like the history of certain footwear, certain brands. I imagine that's interesting for you. Yeah. And that's a great word. Sort of, I would say like object literacy attached to sneakers, even the fact alone that we refer to them now almost exclusively as sneakers and sneaker culture and the term sneakerhead exists. um, I find that problematic when I working with van stuff where commonly like um, in our historic documents from pretty much the before the 2000s, but really looking at the seventies and eighties, out here in this part in California, Vans always calls them tennis shoes, mm-hmm. which now seems like not the, the in vogue word. And I've heard so many different stories as to the differences between sneakers and tennis shoes. And that's a different story. But um, <laughs> I was just thinking people are approaching these everyday objects as collectibles and as also signifiers of either personal important moments or experiences in their life, which also are very much attached to one's identity, right? And and also, or they're thinking of them in terms of like wanting to know where something is made in the history of manufacturing. Those are now conversations that larger consumer culture, especially in the States, is really aware of because it speaks to issues of sustainability. And obviously, everyday objects have complex histories and manufacturing is just so complicated and convoluted. And, you know, we've, 
one thing I learned in my background in decorative arts was also sort of debunking the myth of industrialization and thinking that suddenly with industrialization in the late 18th, early 19th century, everything gets automated, autom automated and machines start doing everything. It's not that simple. And the same could be said about footwear manufacturing too. And I know this firsthand from Vans, so there's still a lot of skilled hand labor. It's just not done here anymore. It's done in Asia primarily. And so even getting that concept across and sort of bigger consumer culture of how things are made, I think that kind of throws people off too. Because we just think everything's automated, mass production, machines. Right. And it seems like that's that's where an archivist or a historian comes into play, right? To help us stay on track and understand how things really were. Um, but I, I think it's interesting that, um, I mean, with, with the knowledge of these companies and products being more and more widely available and there being a hunger and an interest for it, um, I imagine that's a huge motivation for a company that um, to to take care of its own history and and have the answers to these questions that sneakerheads and and collectors and just regular consumers are probably having about the company, right? I'm sure that's got to be some. I don't know. That's got to be a factor to more companies wanting to take care of their own histories. I think they're recognizing people have an interest in this history. Otherwise. I mean, your I don't know if your position would be where it is, right? Or any other archivist position, right? There's an interest in in this, both from the consumer side and the and the and the company side. But how did you, how did your position came about uh, came about? It sounds like prior to you, there wasn't anyone doing any archival work, right? No, um, I mean, I get to officially and proudly say that I started the archive at Vans, <laughs> um, and I always say officially in December 2019. Um, because that's when I came on full time at Vans was in the uh, late spring of 2019. Um, prior to that, my beginning of my role in the archive actually began as an internship in the summer of 2018. Um, and I was finishing up graduate school at that time, and I was already I was already putting feelers out for 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 jobs. But this was an internship that came way through my department because. There were several Parsons graduates at Vans in the design department, and it should say that the to really credit um, the footwear department within design at, at Vans HQ because they were the ones that saw the real need for this. So they created an internship to sort of test the waters, and I was the candidate got that position, and then very quickly the opportunity came up that this could blossom into a full time position. I was already transition i was ready i was just working on a thesis and was doing my own thing anyway and had part-time work teaching and, and whatnot so it, it made sense for me to transition into the role and they were really supportive of that too including me going back to new york and finishing my degree because you know you're eager when you're in school and you're like job job i'll take it i'll do whatever you want <laughs> yeah. that's great that they provided you that opportunity and i'm i am interested in how like I've, I've talked to other archivists about this, like where does the archive live within different companies? And yeah. uh, I think it's interesting that it was product driven, right? The origins of this collection was product driven and in other companies, the formal archive lives within marketing and communications in others. It's a product person that kind of it's, it's something they do on the side. Um, but it seems like in most cases it's, it's, um, either in that camp or, or this camp. Um, so I, I think it's interesting that product really drove that decision or really pushed for it. Is that where you live now? Are you kind of under the product team or are you your own entity? No, I, I am in the product team. And so the I gave you the story that speaks to my personal role in getting that position and transitioning to it. But really the background of it was that the position started in design because they were frustrated that they didn't have an internal resource to speak to heritage and historic product. So that's why they were the ones to really spearhead the creation of this sort of internship slash really, again, testing the waters for what an archive should be. So the internship was really put a light proposal <laughs> together of what you think an archive should be. And I had already had accumulated a lot of uh, internship experience working in archives, but as a researcher, and largely also doing fellowships and internships at museums, both large and small and volunteer work. And I'd been doing that for at that time, at least five, six years. So I sort of took 
that that skill set that I developed and the experience I had working in various institutions and sort of modeled this proposal to be based on that. And then very quickly, you know, I found in this world of of archives and through connections I already had that it, you know, it was it overlapped greatly with the museum work and, and curatorial work that I was interested in. Um, it's, it sounds like a very non-traditional internship opportunity. Um, I say that because I, you didn't have an archivist there to show you the ropes. No. You're building something from scratch. Where do you start? I think a lot of people and a lot of companies that might listen to this, uh, I think people find themselves in a similar situation where, oh, no, that sounds nice. We should probably do that. Um, but they don't have an archivist on staff to get it going. We're like, where, where does this start? How did you start? I started by um, working with the sort of micro collections that various long-term employees and footwear had sort of put together uh, of, her- of historic Vans product. And I really have to credit Ryan Posebon, who's a senior footwear designer, because he was the one that created the position and mentored me in the, the early part of it and was really transparent too about the needs and really helping me connect because other thing, even at that early, early stage was building trust and connections with, with people there and getting, and, you know, really just sort of taking the little bits of, everything was so internalized in terms of institutional knowledge about Van's history through the product lens, because nothing had been, or I wouldn't say nothing was fully documented, but it was not organized. You know, so I had to really, oral histories became a really big, important thing. So I was informally recording my conversations with people and, and, you know, looking at primary documents and sort of piecing it together. And I was working with um, Mark Nass, who is one of our long-term product developers, who also just has a love of vintage and old things. And he was one who had really put together a really robust collection of vintage of vintage historic Vans product, primarily from the USA Made days for Vans, which is um, anything be- uh, before 98, 95, um, when they exclusively had their factories and manufacturing was in California. Um, and also really speaking to like 80s and 70s, 80s and early 90s Vans product. So I used his collection as a starting point and did a sort of mock-up of photographing it the way that a museum would, you know, doing sort of quick deep dives in the design history, learning as much as I could about what the company was doing. And all of this was, the the truth is it was very disorganized because I was walking into a very unorganized place and I did my best to sort of start to piecemeal. I was kind of doing case studies, I would say, because I couldn't obviously tell the whole comprehensive story of the company or even the shoes alone. So I had to sort of pick and choose. And then I also, because I was working in design, I got to really understand their current design process and product development. And I kind of started absorbing that information too, and also kind of picking and choosing contemporary product, which obviously almost the moment it's conceived and certainly hits the marketplace becomes, you know, archival. Um, and, And so using that too, and sort of, again, was just picking and choosing and it got overwhelming because people started giving me way too much, way too soon. And it's still overwhelming because I have way too much <laughs> to a backlog of processing of various types of historic assets. But where is just one component of it? Yeah, I think that's my, that was kind of my next question is, what does the day-to-day look like? And I know people ask me that. It's like, what does the day-to-day of our collection look like? And it's different all the time, right? Because there's a new collection being processed or you're getting a request from the product team. I imagine that's kind of how your day is, right? It's like some days you're collecting, some days you're documenting, sometimes you're doing an oral history, some days you're working with the design team on a re-release or is that is that safe to say? What does it look like for you? Yeah. I mean, it really it's really diverse and it's also been me learning not only the needs of vans and specifically let's just say footwear right now because they're who i primarily work with but not exclusively um and then also me understanding pretty quickly that research was really important because how could i start to share these historic objects or documents with people if nobody really knew what they were referring to or their context so for me especially because I should say that 
you know, it was only eight months, nine months into the position full-time at Vans before COVID hit. So suddenly I really had to be flexible and really clever with how I was, how I was honing the role, my role as the art, the archivist in house, but also the archive, obviously working with physical collections came to a big halt. And it's only recently sort of, now I'm sort of tackling a baseline inventory of mostly historic product that's not really including recent or current product. I haven't, I'm still working on the strategy for how to do that. I'm still working on negotiating what our space really should be to house the collection. Cause right now everything is living where it, I've sort of inherited it to be, or I have a few small spaces <laughs> that I can move stuff to. Um, and these are all, you know, I realized too, there's no one way to do it. It's just sort of picking and choosing what your battles are and then understanding the needs of the brand. And the, the needs of the brand too are research and understanding and context of their historic uh, assets. And, um, and that is where I like work closely with, with our marketing team and brand communications too. Well, you, man, the archives, there's, there's so many challenges facing like standing up a collection um, and it, but so many opportunities at the same time. And, and I space is one of those, right. And how do you take care of what is already in existence, right. All the historic materials, but then how do you take care of all the new product coming off the line? Um, that's, that's something that we wrestle with. It's like, there's new catalogs being produced all the time. How do we make sure that the brands send us the new catalogs in addition to finding the old ones? Um, so it's, it's, there's so many interesting challenges and opportunities around the work, work that you're doing and, and space is, is a huge part of that. So I'm, I'm eager to see what, what you come up with and the space that you end up <laughs> being provided. I, I just watched a video of Dave, um, Dave at Carhartt. Yeah. Oh, that space. I I know that they just got into their new space and and it looks incredible. So I hope, I hope you get some incredible space at at some point in the future. I believe I will. I just don't know exactly when or how this is going to happen at this stage. Um, The other thing too, the big, like one of the other big challenges for me is like, I'm a department of one. Mm -hmm. So I only, I, the resources that I have in terms of what I can actually accomplish is kind of limited. And also, Brands work operate differently than museum or museums or library collections, um, you know, in terms of their need for information and the turnaround time. I mean, that's not completely true. I know enough people who work in museums where sometimes they, you know, get hit with really last minute things, but it seems more common in this industry and world that everything is things are planned in advance, but when also learning how, when to pull me into that workflow for whatever they're doing, if it's an anniversary of a particular product, if it's wanting to know more information about a particular athlete and their history with Vans or, you know, um, doing research to support sort of the general, the, the way that we talk about our history just as it is right now you know, are getting further clarifying information, whatever. I mean, it all, and I feel like I've done most of the groundwork for understanding and being able to share information back and sort of helping to reshape certain things that where there wasn't a lot of information on. Um, And that, but also, you know, I feel like it's never ending and there's always stuff that it will, it will always change. It'll be changing for a while. Yeah. Well, there's so much infrastructure building that I imagine you're working on right now and like system establishing systems and processes that, that just takes so much work that'll pay off down the road when you get an information request from the design team and you can pull up a scan or something like that. But I imagine it's, it's a lot of infrastructure at this point. Yeah. And also too, it's, it's the, the literal infrastructure of obviously creating the archive and making everything, you know, organized and accessible but again the thing with 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 vans which is not uncommon is that having been bought and sold several times since 1988 a lot of things have been lost so there's so much so many gaps in terms of 
just the larger business history, which I tend to focus on because that gives a lot of insight and context to why a particular product exists at certain times, why something is getting more advertising at this particular period, why this thing is blowing up and understand that business history part is really important along with like general pop culture and also the local culture here for Cal- in California, which was so important for Vans for the first few decades. Um, now we're such a big global company and the shift isn't really on that California story anymore, but it certainly is. And it's certainly in the perception, especially of non-Americans about the brand, because it's also attached to skate culture and skateboarding as an actual sport, surf culture, and again, surfing and all these things. And I think we're a, we're a brand that is also very, very dependent upon culture in terms of shaping and honing that and our, our identity and our product. And again, this kind of goes to those more conceptual conceptual aspects of the brand is sort of when you think about branding and what, how brands specifically, let's just say, for example, in like fashion and, and footwear, you know, they're not just selling you shoes, they're selling you these bigger ideas and concepts of culture and identity and that's <laughs> and it gets a little abstract. And we we certainly do that because we talk so much about creativity in ways that actually literally have nothing to do with the function of footwear, but we're supporting it and we're we're connecting the dots. And obviously that's very common now with brands and advertising um, companies. I mean, anything even even something as basic as food, all all brands do this now. <laughs> it's not it's not exclusive to fashion even. I am surprised that more companies don't have someone who is trained in an understanding of like material culture, right? And under like this understanding, like the significance of objects, right? And what they mean, what they say about us, the values that we attach to them. I I imagine that that like perspective could be very valuable in the boardroom, right? Or in these high level discussions around the direction of a company or the products that we're choosing to make. Right. Because at the end of the day, right. Like that's these, these objects, they're, they're objects, but they mean something to people and to have someone who can drop in and give perspective or give words to that um, or in a voice to that. And what, what that means to different people, I think it's really really impactful. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't think that's common for a company to have someone with that type of perspective. Have you yeah. seen that like value within the company grow as you talk about the story of Vans, the story of the product, what they mean? I, I could see how that would be a value to not only the product team, but to marketing and communications and, and from a strategy perspective. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts there? Um, yes. I mean, and I see how even the language that I use to talk about historic product has already kind of shifted the inter- at least the internal our our internal perception of it. It's really elevated in a way that maybe because no one was coming from this academic perspective had really provided for the company internally. And really, to be honest, too, the the phenomenon of of, of sneakers and sneaker culture being taken seriously in 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 our culture at large and museum exhibitions devoted to this thing, that's all really recent. You know, 10 years ago, that would have been really, really obscure. Now it's pretty common, you know? There was a big sneaker exhibition that traveled to a couple cities. Um, it was in Brooklyn in 2015 when I had just moved to New York um, from the Bada Shoe Museum in Toronto, which is one of the largest, most comprehensive footwear collections in the world. And it speaks to the the global history of it, and that was the first big one devoted to sneakers alone. And that's not that's only what that's like six years ago. Wow. So that was the first big like important scholarly museum catalog that came out too about about that. And obviously, there's stuff that existed before about sneakers and skateboarding is another great example, right? There, I mean that you can there's a whole there's academics and disciplines now that support action sports and subcultures but in the grand scheme of things this is all relatively new or it's now if it's been in existence for a while just like material culture studies and like decorative art history it's still in the grand scheme of things relatively recent and 
is now only getting more and more attention and limelight. Um, well, and I like think popular consciousness, I mean, you know, right, right. Well, even, yeah. <laughs> well, I was just thinking as like, as an industry, and I'm going to say outdoor and include vans in that, um, it's a relatively young industry, even if you look back, even till, you know, if you look back to Abercrombie and Fitch 1905 as an outdoor outfitter, I mean, that's, it's over a hundred years. That's, that's not that, that's not that long. Um, and, but most people, I think, look at the outdoor industry, traditional, what we traditionally think of as the, as the outdoor industry is you think of Yvonne Chouinard and you think Patagonia in the seventies and they think, well, that wasn't that long ago. It's like, well, that was 50 years ago. Right. And um, I think people in these companies, you're just so heads down that you don't think about what you're doing as historic in some ways. And certainly some of those companies, I'm sure Yvonne would be the first one to tell you that, oh, we weren't doing anything historic. We were just climbing. Um, and so I think that's a mind, sh- mind um, like a, a, just a shift in mindset that, that you're talking about, right? Where people are starting to recognize, oh, wow, like these companies are impactful they shape our lives and, you know, and, and we have a connection to them. And I just think that's a shift that's happening that, that you're ushering in that we are trying to contribute to in a positive way. Um, but you're right. I think it's, it's relatively new that mindset. Um, but this industry has been around for, for a while and there's significant impacts that it's had, um, on, on, you know, regions, country culture, um, and it deserves to be studied and, recognized and understood. Yeah. I mean, it's so, it, it's so integrated into everyday life and the meaning for so many people of everyday life through, you know, something as again, you know, as useful and utilitarian as sneakers, as shoes, right. That I don't know. I think the, the, the bigger, and there's been a, a bigger shift. If you look at like this, the history of like consumer culture in the 20th century in the United States, again, stuff like that gets really interesting to me. And so when you start to frame it in these contexts and within these different lenses, it really sort of, it really adds value. And so the same thing with the way that Vans, you know, Vans is, you know, I, I I would say most brand most brands and companies are unique and probably in their origin stories and how they've come into being and the the ups and downs of also businesses and companies too, right? There's always transitions and definitely like low points versus high points, and you know that is that is universal. But with Vans having such really really authentic and historic connections to skateboarding, surf culture. Um, snowboarding, BMX, all these things which have shaped it, it really has expanded the company a lot. And so you can talk, you can probably do a, a nice history of like the skate industry and how that world became professionalized and became an industry and the pro- how you were selling anything from skate decks to shoes to all the sort of accoutrement of that world. Um, and Vans would be a part of that because they were involved so early on and in a supportive way. Um, so, you know, I feel like very quickly our brand history expands past shoes almost immediately. And I could give a lot of examples of that. Maybe I think really big and visionary like that, but I almost see it like immediately. And that's what excited me about being here too, was actually seeing that Vans history was really special. And I grew up in Southern California. So I feel like I, it, it, I have, I have a personal connection to that part of the brand and its origins here, not from Orange County, but I'm still, I was, you know, from the Los Angeles area. So close enough and to understand and the bigger, the symbolic, the symbolic value that California has in like the American consciousness of the last hundred years, it, it's kind of crazy. And I lived out of state for most of my adult life. So <laughs> I feel like I'm acutely aware more so than someone who might've spent their whole life here. Right. Right. How, how is it having, you mentioned oral histories being a big part of what you do and what that does to build relationships. I mean, 
we do that through our podcast in a way, right? Talk to um, early employees of different companies and and try to tell their story. And and usually after telling telling their story through a podcast, we've made a connection and and we've been able to help preserve materials through that uh, print material and a, as well as the oral history. But um, how important has it been for you to have had a connection to the founder? Um, or have had a connection with, with Paul Van Doren. Um, how, how important was that for you to at least have that touch point? Extremely um, important. Extremely, extremely, extremely. And it was so, it was really such an honor to have spent the little bit of time that I did spend with him, which wasn't just sort of given to me. I had to really ask and make way because he had no formal connections to the company. Obviously it was really, and it was really of courtesy, really, really grateful to Steve Van Doren, his son, who's been here his whole entire life at Vans, who in Paul's later years kind of reconnected Paul to the brand because Paul had stepped away from Vans for a, wa- a long time. And even though Steve and his daughter, Cheryl, and other members of the family have worked for the brand, he hadn't really been present here until the last few years. Um, and so when my role was created I actually met Paul when I was an intern still. He came on um, on site for a specific event. And the one picture I have of me and him is from that time. <laughs> um, so very important. Cool. Uh, yeah, so the oral history is very important. But I, I re- even before meeting Paul or thinking of, of uh, long-term employees, there was so much institutional knowledge within the design team itself people who'd worked there for 10 plus years had absorbed so much information about the product history and specific histories related to a particular silhouette that Vans did or no longer did. And giving that full story that was not recorded in CAD drawings of these shoes or in the catalogs or, you know, even in the the press releases for this stuff. So very quickly, I was like, you need to hit record and, just ask everybody's permission <laughs> to start keeping track of this. Um, yeah. Oh, that's great. No, oh, I love that. I, I think having that personal connection with the founder is, I don't know, you just, that's, there's nothing like that. And especially in your capacity and your position, um, being able to help tie that through line um, and tell that story, I, I, just having that, having those, those interactions, I'm sure are really special for you. Um, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious, just a couple of fun questions as we kind of wrap up, but is there a most special item, uh, maybe special in terms of like company history and maybe a favorite item, um, for you personally? There's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot of objects. Um, one of, for me personally, one of the most special, um, pairs of shoes that we have in our collection was something that I acquired really just by happenstance, by pure luck, um, shortly after I started, which is a pair, one of the earliest pairs we have of Vans, uh, of a custom shoe, because the history of customization was such an integral part to our company history, Um, an early pair of custom women's shoes that are in a pointy silhouette, which um, was only around for uh, about a year or two, according to Steve, from uh, 19, about these shoes are from 1967, 69, uh, roughly. And so they have the earliest branding on them in the insole and on the heel tab. Um, and they're also one of a kind and they're made with a woman's dress fabric. And that was acquired really quickly when I, when I stepped in here. And so the, those shoes have been really special because not just just because they they speak to this product history that there really wasn't any good examples of in-house prior to that. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so probably that's probably one of the most special to the company. Um, do you have one that's separate that's like your personal favorite? Mm, well, that one's kind of a personal favorite. Because <laughs> mm. well, they can be the same. Yeah, because I was going to say the other, the, other, the other interesting, I guess the other thing, again, is not only are they one of a kind of customs, but they're custom women's shoes. Mm-hmm. And so many of the early customs were really, were really for women and advertised for women. 
And that's been a sort of lost narrative in the in our company history that I've been trying to really shed a lot of light on. And I sort of had a hunch that women, female consumers were important for vans in the 60s and 70s from what I could just quickly see. But now I feel like it's actually a really, really, it was really, it was more important than we had known previously. And this is when, you know, the researcher historian hat I get, I get to put on and really do and really flesh that story out. And I don't want to give our history of customization necessarily, but that too is really important has been sort of lost in the bigger brand history, the way that we talk about ourselves today. And so this work all supports that. And this one pair of shoes supports all of these narratives. Right. Um, And then I was going to say the actually the one important pair that was in the collection already before I started working with Vans was an original um, pair of Randy shoes um, from Duke. I can't think of his full name, the surfer from the 60s. Super important to surf history, but also it's sort of the preliminary, it's the, it's sort of the 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 shoe that might have inspired. You can easily argue that the custom it was the custom shoe that easily might have inspired Paul Van Doren to incorporate customization into his manufacturing process when he started Vans in 1966, because Randy's is where he worked prior to Vans for about 30 years. Mm. Um, so, and then obviously the connection between surfing and I won't even, there's the whole can of worms there. Right. Oh, that's amazing. That's great. Um, I guess just a, a last question for you. What, what do you hope for the collection in the future? What does that future look like um, in this full, full-time position that you've been in now for, for a couple of years? What do you hope to achieve the next couple of years? Um, organizing it (laughs) and making it accessible internally. You know, I mean, people are always asking me, what is it going to be accessible externally? Parts of it will down the road, but really it's, it's, I'm here to support the company and our employees, anybody who's interested, they should, you know, have the access to it. And it's really difficult to make that access when you don't have proper space and, you know, I'm developing a budget to, to also, maintain the livelihood of these objects, you know, and that's also sort of educating everybody on best practices on how to handle them and understand, you know, and it's a conservation issue too. And then understanding, you know, do people need to see physical product or can they just look at photos? You know, there's this whole, I mean, the whole world of archives and museum collections is changing gradually with the role that digitization has in digital presence and, you know, what that means on the back of the house end too. You know, how many can designers get away with not actually seeing a pair of shoes, but just looking at a bunch of really great photos at different angles. And will that help them in the same way as opposed to having it? I mean, those are all questions that I'm trying to address and, and, and do. And I, I give people access when I, when I can, as much as I can, but, you know, Again, everything is scattered and lives in different places. And I'm doing that baseline inventory just to even really know exactly what do we have and where are the gaps. <laughs> so well, that's great. I there's I'm excited to see the future of the collection and what what you do year to year. It sounds like there's there's a lot to do. That's an understatement, right? Um, but I think that's an, a really cool opportunity at the same time, right? There's there's so much to work to be done because it wasn't being done prior prior to your position. So, and any parting thoughts before we wrap up? What did, anything that we missed? Mm. No, other than I should say that I'm I'm really grateful to the company and all my colleagues not just in design, but in other parts of the company that have really supported my role and the role of the archive, which is a bit abstract, but also helping me, you know, really build up, I incorporate the word preservation now into our, our language in a way that it didn't exist before, that concept of preservation on all fronts um, for all things that we're doing. And also, you know, everyone for really um, enabling me to 
to also shape the role in a way that suits me best as well. And help, you know, it's sort of developing a muscle of the brand that didn't exist. And at one at some time it won't be just me anymore. There'll be there'll be support. And I don't want I, you know, I, I say co-created the archive too, because I had all the blessings of so much of our executive team and still do. Um, and you know, just even everyday regular colleagues everywhere. And I try to, I try to connect as much as I can internally to our work culture and to our colleagues on all fronts. And, you know, we're a huge company <laughs> with different parts. Like I don't have day-to-day contact with our retail associates, but, you know, when I do go in the stores, I try to always share with them what I'm doing if they're interested and like, you know, make those connections. And the longer vision would be that the archive really would be accessible to everybody at Vans. And then obviously have some consumer facing official, you know, face as well. Um, they'll get there eventually, I think. <laughs> And I'm hoping there'll be predecessors to me and, you know, I will have a, a team at some point as well. Sure. Sure. Um, and I'm, I'm not remembering exactly, but wasn't there a book or a documentary or there, there was something that you worked on recently that was archives related. Is that right? Yeah. There've been a couple of things. Um, Vans just completed a documentary on Paul Van Doren that hasn't come out yet. Um, I had a little bit, I helped a little bit on the back end in terms of um, sending research and assets to the production company that was working on it. Um, And then uh, House of Vans, our venues just had celebrated their 10th anniversary and we just did a big book. And so I had a little mini essay in that. So that might be what you're referring to. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. That's great. how, How do people connect with that? Yeah, can they pick? Can they pick up that book somewhere? They can. Uh, it was offered exclusively as a limited edition through Vans Family, which is like our loyalty program. Mm. So you might have to check online, and that was the way to get it. Um, it might have sold out by now. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> Some of the stores have it. Okay. Oh, that's thought, great. Yeah, I saw. You might be able to get it at one of the stores, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> I contribute uh, no, a piece of Vans uh, internal scholarship that, you know, again, <laughs> hadn't really been uh, shared before, actually, to be honest. Yeah, that's um, great. How, how do people stay in touch with, I guess, things happening in the archive? I'm sh- I mean, you're sharing things. Is there a best way to stay in touch with you for news about the collection? If there's anything that, that comes out or becomes public? Yeah, this time, I would say that my I use my my personal Instagram account as a way to showcase some of my my work um, right now because we don't again it's too early for us to have a formal you know archive channel and that at some point bands you know our regular bands social media accounts and website will share information about the archive once it's official but that's still a work in progress right now but I'm on there and I'm happy to connect with people and share my work. Um, and what I'm doing in terms of anything from research to the small wins, like my little essay in that book <laughs> um, and all that. So, yeah. Oh, that's great. I'll include links to that in the description for this episode. So Catherine, yeah. thank you so much. This has been fun. It's great to hear what you're working on and um, we'll thank be you. looking forward to seeing everything else in, uh, that, that you're doing in the future. So thanks for taking time. Great. Thank you, Chase, for yeah, having me. Of course. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.